So very early, every Tuesday morning, one of our elders comes here each week and sits on the front steps and prays. He prays for our pastoral team, he prays for the ministry teams, he prays for our missionary partners. And I join him inconsistently at best. Uh, I come out, I, I leave the house, try not to wake up the dog or wake anybody else and try to get over here before the sun comes up. And, and if you're ever up at that, that hour, you try to do things in a way that doesn't disturb much. And it seems like, like prayer might be one of the only things that you really should be doing before the sun comes up. So we come and we sit and we pray. He's been doing this for more than 25 years every Tuesday morning, praying for this church. I do definitely believe that one day i got to look him in the eye and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So let's take an informal poll as we begin this morning. Raise your hands if you believe that you are a morning person. One, two, three. Okay, all right. That was... That was uh, surprising. I didn't expect to see that. So you, at the break of dawn or before, you're already up. You don't need a cup of coffee. You may want a cup of coffee, but you're already ready to go. If you're a guest with us this morning, you didn't need me to ask people to raise their hands because you already know who they are. They already self-identified. When we asked people to shake hands, they were the ones that grabbed your hand and pumped it like the Energizer Bunny. They are ready to go. They did not need their coffee. They are here and ready to go. Now, if it is your first time here, if you're watching online today, uh, you need to know that I am one of those people. Generally, I am up fairly, (laughs) Brian over here is nodding his head emphatically. Yes. Yes, I'm up fairly early each morning. I don't know that I love to be awake that early, but with four kids at home, it's just the only time that I have that's my own. And so maybe you understand that to some extent. Uh, So today is the second Sunday of Advent. In the Advent series, the Advent season is a bit like waking up while it's still dark outside. And, and, And waiting with expectancy for the sun to rise to begin your day. Now if you're like me and you grew up in Baptist circles like I did, we didn't talk about Advent that much. And so... Uh, It's fair to kind of give you, I'm going to give you a little bit of a crash course of what is this season of Advent all about. So Christians in the first five centuries after Christ, they're inspired by a Jewish calendar. When they looked at the Jewish calendar, they see all these festivals and celebrations of the Old Testament. They realized that there was reason to put some of those celebrations in the Christian calendar as well. The two most famous that you know already is the Christmas celebration season and uh, this season at Easter. Those are the two that we know and we know well, we interact with often. But one of those seasons is Advent. The four Sundays leading into uh, Christmas is the season of Advent. And Advent is all about preparing for the arrival of Jesus. And so these Sundays that lead into it, we think about how are we going to prepare? How are we going to celebrate Christ's arrival? But the reality is, is it's not just that uh, Jesus coming into Bethlehem that we celebrate, but actually looking forward as well to celebrate the second advent, the second coming of Christ. And so here, as we are in our Advent series this year, we're calling the series, as you just watched in the video, uh, the series of a fulfilled Christmas. And what we're doing is we're working our way through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at six different prophecies that occur uh, as we look at uh, those first two chapters. Now, 
to be completely clear and understanding, we are only scratching the surface of what it looks like for Old Testament prophecy to be fulfilled in Christ. There's more than 325 of these prophecies that come uh, to fruition in Christ's life as Messiah. So Jesus fulfills all of these things. It's of no random occurrence. This is the hand of God uh, demonstrating these things. If you remember the show, it was on television for 17 years on the Discovery Channel. It's a show that uh, my family enjoys. It's called Mythbusters. Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so Mythbusters is on for a number of years. And what they do is they go through and they investigate myths and they use science to, to look at movies or to look at different uh, rumors and claims that have been made. And they use science to, to be able to demonstrate whether that thing actually could plausibly happen or not. Well, so this second week of Advent, I'm going to do a bit of myth busting when it comes to uh, the story that we see here in Matthew chapter 2. It has to do with what most of you probably have on your mantle at home. We have one set up right now, and you have the Nativity Story mantle. It looks a little bit similar to what I have the beginnings of here on the stage next to me. And it's a story, and it shows the picture of, of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and all the animals around. And then you have the shepherds who are there, and you even have angels sometimes that are there. And then you have what? You have three wise men and camels uh, off to the side. Well, that in and of itself, to myth bust that a little bit, that, that just didn't happen that way. It works well to stick everything in there and actually... On our display here, I have a star on top of this. The star didn't really come uh, to the stable there. What happens is that according to the Bible, the magi, the wise men, when Jesus is born, that's when the journey starts. When Jesus is born, that is when the star appears in the sky. Now, Pastor Brian read this last week, but I want to give it for context. So this is Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So while the angels are singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, and while the shepherds are going and telling everyone what they've heard and everything that they've experienced, that's when the magi in their hometown, in their land, in the east, they see this star, they interpret what the star must mean, and then they begin planning their navigation. They begin planning their journey to go and see and follow this star. At that point, they are still some 900 miles away. 900 miles away. Now, this journey would have taken a long time to plan it out and to to set a course for how to make all of their travel arrangements. And so for the most part, most people believe that it took somewhere between one to two years to actually make the journey to arrive there in Bethlehem. So I hate to break it to you if I'm the first person to myth bust this for you, but the wise men were not at the manger. You would presume that there would be some better accommodations that had been found in a year to in a year and a half's amount of time. Now Matthew also doesn't tell us how many magi there were. The Western church tradition from this historical record speculates that there was three magi, and that comes from the three gifts that they bring, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's the only idea where we would get three 
magi from. They're bringing three different gifts to Jesus. But in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they don't use the number three. They actually have 12 magi as they've thought about it and, and processed it. That they are coming to bring gifts to the Messiah. We just don't know. And Matthew doesn't give us the, the specifics to tell us about it. But let's continue reading. I'm going to jump now to verse 9 now. So we're picking up from last week's uh, passage, and we're going to continue here. So after listening to Herod the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went out before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Follow the star. Follow the star. When I was a kid, I lived across the street from my grandparents and the family farm. I was the fifth generation on the family farm. It's a pretty big operation, but on our little part of our property, there was only three acres surrounded by many, many acres and a lot of different things that the family farm had. But but there's all this farmland everywhere, everywhere you could see. But then right next to our house, we had this giant, enormous pine tree. This massive tree, and it was out of place for the rest of the area that had been cleared at some point for all of this farmland, and there's this massive pine tree. Now, when I say massive pine tree, I'm talking about something that is seven to eight stories tall. So if you're in this room and you look up, we're looking at maybe three and a half to five stories at the very peak of this room. And so go that much higher This was the tree that was next to my home growing up. And I've got a lot of fond memories of gathering together pine needles and different things like that underneath the branches of this giant tree. And so somewhere along the way, my dad, as any reasonable person would do, I suppose, if you have a giant pine tree next to your house, he decided that he was going to put a Christmas star at the top of the pine tree. And so I don't know how it happened. I really don't. I wasn't old enough to know it. It was just always there as I was growing up. Dad climbed the top of the tree. He got enough supplies to the top of the tree to build an enormous star at the top of the tree and run enough Romex cable down the side of the tree to be able to put electric plug at the top of the tree and light the star 70 to 80 feet up above our house. It was incredible. People still talk to my dad years later after he's moved away and everything else about that star in that pine tree. So who cares? What does that have to do with today's passage? Well, here's the bottom line, the main point, if you don't hear anything else that I have to say. Why does it matter? Because when you follow the star, you will find your way. When you follow the star, you will find your way. Where we lived was on one side of a little valley where there was a creek that went down behind our house and there was a steel deck bridge there at the bottom. And people would come driving down the hill and you could hear them come across the bridge, across the bottom of the bridge all day long. Just one after another, cars would come. But there was something during that Christmas season on, on the other side of the valley, you could see... This star at the top of this giant tree all the way across 
the valley. We could invite people over for Christmas parties and things like that, invite them over from church. We'd say, take a left on McKinstry Road and follow the star the rest of the way there. You know, it says when the Magi found the star, well, they followed the star, the star began to attract them, and it drew them in the direction of where the Savior was. This one star out of billions of stars in the sky, it was especially bright. There was something about it that attracted their attention. And these kings, according to history, they're there in the east and they are looking and they see the star and they start heading west. They start looking for the star. And that star was so bright, it piqued their interest so much that they find themselves first in Jerusalem and then there in the little town of Bethlehem. This shining star, this shining light was so bright that these seekers, these searchers, these people from different religious traditions and backgrounds, they saw the star and they were drawn to it. It was this beacon, it was this light, this travel guide to get them to where the Savior was going to be. It had a brighter light. It had a special significance in the sky. It was something that that stood out and popped And it made them notice it. There was something about it. You know, you're here this morning, and it's not an accident that you are here. You know, all of us have been around someone who who you would say they followed the star, and they, in their own way, was a shining light that directed you to Jesus. That they were the path that guided you, whether this was a grandmother, a grandfather, A father, a mother, a teacher, a brother, a sister, a a preacher, a pastor, or maybe a co-worker in the cubicle down the hallway. But, But they were a light, a beacon that has guided you to find the Savior. And that's why you are here this morning. There was something different about that person. Something that you can't really put a finger on it, but God used them as a travel guide to get you to the Savior. They stood out in the crowd. There was something different about them that pointed the way. You know, in the New Testament, that's what Matthew is doing. The whole gospel of Matthew is built. It points to this Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus of Nazareth is the true Messiah, is the true king, and he says it in many ways over and over and over and over. And specifically, Matthew uses the Old Testament as this roadmap that be able to, to look at the Old Testament to help readers to be able to follow the star to Jesus. That's exactly what Matthew is doing. He connects the dots across the sky to help us to find Jesus. He, he references Old Testament prophecies. And today the prophecy that we're going to be looking at is a prophecy from Isaiah. One of them from Isaiah in chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. So if you've got your Bibles, make your way to Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to stay in Isaiah the rest of the way out this morning. Because we're going to look at how Matthew uses his language to be able to see some of the things to fulfill the prophecy that Isaiah gives us. Isaiah chapter 60. We are to follow the star. Why? Who cares? Well, when you follow the star, you will encounter the radiance of God's glory. When you follow the star, you will encounter the radiance of God's glory. This is Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Arise, shine! That's for you morning people. For your light has come, 
and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and the thick darkness over the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Now we have to keep in mind, when we go back to old texts like this, we have to remember that the Old Testament prophets, they didn't know some of the things that we are aware of now. They didn't understand everything that they are writing. The fact is, as believers today, we have a better holistic understanding because of God's word and because we have the whole story laid out for us to, to connect the dots. Isaiah didn't have all of that. He, he was able to, to do so only by faith. He had limited understanding of all of what was going on, and yet... Even though he didn't understand it all, he still wrote it down. He still preached it. He still communicated it to the people around him. Arise and shine. Now, there's a camp song that just sticks in my head. Right, Some of you are nodding your heads. Rise and shine and... All right, so four of you know the song. The rest of you, meet with them afterwards. They know the rest of the song, and there's an archy-archy, and, and all, there's a lot of stuff going on. I, I grew up at a camp where... Uh, you would go around and pound on the doors as counselors in the camp and just sing this song, Rise and Shine, and there was not anything very nice about what we were doing in those moments, hence being a morning person. There's this wake-up call that is going on to start chapter 60. There's this optimism, there's this pep, there's this surprise. It's spoken to the people of Israel who would be more apt to pull the covers back over their heads. But Isaiah wants to get in their face and wake them up to what's really going on. He writes somewhere between 739, 681 B.C. to a nation who had turned a deaf ear to the Lord. They had stopped listening to what God was telling them. They had stopped serving him. They had started offering idols to to other gods. They were uh, not loving their neighbors. They were offering all these meaningless sacrifices in God's temple. They had turned their backs on God and alienated themselves in the process. And as Isaiah has written 59 chapters worth of pointing out really the darkness that is all around them, he is pronouncing judgment over them. He said, if you continue in this manner, it is not going to go well for you. And then he makes this turn in chapter 60 to rise and shine. That there would be a day when God's people would return to He's given them a lot of bad news, and then he gives this idea of God breaking into everything. This metaphor, if you will, of God pulling back the curtains, and the sun is just streaming in. The radiance of God, the beauty of God's glory, just streaming in this morning sunlight through the window. The glory of God is shining in the midst and through the darkness, this heavy, thick darkness. Rise and shine and Give God the glory. So follow the star. Why? Because when you follow the star, you will encounter the radiance of God's glory. Secondly, why? You will encounter, you will recognize the masterful hand of God. Continuing on, this is Isaiah 60, continuing on verse 3. And the nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Wait a minute. 
Are you picking up what is being written here? Did, I did not go back over to the New Testament. This is Isaiah's prophecy, 700 years previous to any of the Christmas texts that you and I are familiar with. 700 years. Imagine that you are the Magi. You have read some of these prophecies. You have been studying the star, and now you have finally made this long journey. And you are coming into Jerusalem. And as you're coming into Jerusalem, and later as you come into Bethlehem, you start looking around, and you notice people are everywhere. And even the kings are being gathered. Because of the Roman census, they're all being pulled together. There are people who have traveled extreme distances to be here. Lift up your eyes, the prophecy says. Isaiah is saying, look around. Can you see what God is up to? Are you aware? Can you recognize the hand of God as it moves different components of, of history? And they're looking at one another and saying, I can't. His prophecy is, is true. The more that we see and the more that we experience, we are recognizing God's hand is at work. Right down to the women who are carrying the children on their hip. As they're walking through the village, you just see these women are coming by. they got children on That's part of it too. Isaiah tells us that darkness is everywhere. That darkness covers the earth and covers the people. And he talks about it in a way, just picture the way that it's so dark that you cannot see your own hand in front of your face. Picture pitch black. You can't see anything and this darkness is so thick on you. And it says that the Lord, though, will rise up within you. In Jerusalem, it will rise up and there will be a light that shines. And for those who trust him, his glory will be radiant within them. The, the kings will come to the brightness of your rising. And here are these three magi, or twelve magi, or how many there were. And they're like, man, here we are. That star that caught our attention has brought us here, but there's a lot more going on here than just this celestial thing in the sky. You see, focusing on that light is what has helped them notice and see everything as it's come into motion. All of the nations will recognize your light, Isaiah says. They knew it was significant, and yet as they are following it, they're able to discover more and more and more and recognize more and more and more. Follow the star. Lift up your eyes and see your eyes will be opened to recognize the masterful hand of God. Follow the star. Why? Because when you follow the star, you will experience the expansive nature of the heart of God. Look at verse 5. Then you shall see and you'll be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you and the wealth of the nations will come to you. And what the prophet Isaiah is doing here is he's calling attention into the way that God breaks into our world and illuminates our very existence. If you were here last weekend for the nativity story, that's what we talked about. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son to interrupt our lives. The prophet is saying, look around, pay attention, 
God is here. He's interrupting. He's right here for you to see. So in 2023, you've got, as Brian said earlier, you've got your Christmas parties to go to, whether that's for work or you've got a Christmas party to go to for your family or here's something going on at church that we're asking you to be at. You've got all of these things, and it can be fatiguing. It can be tiring. But he says, look, God is among us. Emmanuel, God is with us, and Emmanuel is not getting tired. Jesus Christ is alive, and he is present in our world right here and right now. Don't crawl back under the covers. Don't hit snooze. You don't want to miss this. Rise, for this is worth paying attention to. And Isaiah is talking about, look, at all these people are coming and streaming into Jerusalem. And when they are pursuing that beacon in the sky, when you follow the star and you begin to see the effect of God's love on his people, your heart will be filled. You'll, be, you'll have a smile on your face, a big smile. Your heart will swell even to the point of bursting. Experience the expansive nature of the heart of God. What is it that gets you up in the morning? When that alarm clock goes off, is it the knowledge that your day is fully booked with all the things that you have to accomplish today? Is it so that you can get an early start on your to-do list or go for a morning run? Is it the opportunity to catch the sunrise with a morning cup of coffee? For Isaiah, it was something different. He might have challenged us to take a new direction with our days, to begin with the eagerness of, of just expectancy for what God might be doing today that I might be able to be a part of. Wouldn't that change the perspective of each of our mornings? Looking for God's glory already present and already moving and already expanding in our world. If we were aware of that, would we not bask in that light and be radiant ourselves and have hearts that are a thrill of hope? As a star moves from Jerusalem, to the home where the Christ child resides, to the house where he resides, I imagine that the Magi's hearts, as they are seeing these pieces come together, are growing more and more and more expectant every step of the way. Follow the star. Why? Because you will experience the expansive heart of God. Follow the star. Why? Because you will bring forth the good news of God. Verse 6, a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come. They will bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Now, Some of you will remember a few years back we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon was the author of Ecclesiastes and the wisest man who ever lived. But when we study Ecclesiastes, we read about and understand as we cross-reference the way that the Queen of Sheba comes with this large quantity of spices and gold and precious stones with her. She is drawn to come to meet there in Jerusalem with the King Solomon because of his fame. And she tests him in all the different ways that she can with really hard questions. And Solomon is able to answer All of them, because of his wisdom that God has given him. 
So when we come to the New Testament, we see magi, and they are coming to the Christ child. And what gifts do they bring? We're familiar with these. They have the three gifts, and it's in all of the pictures. We see these, these poor guys, they are walking. Now, it is kind of comical if you think about it. Uh, if you're going to walk 900 miles, you're probably not going to walk with a gift in your hands and just kind of walk the whole way. You're going you're gonna to put it in a saddlebag or in a, a backpack or something. Like, but we always see them. They're holding the gifts out, and they're walking over the sand dunes. And they're, but they're there. They've made it. They've arrived with these three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You've probably heard some of the background on these gifts. So gold is a symbol of deity and glory. It speaks of the shining perfection of this divine person, Jesus. Frankincense is an ointment or a perfume, and it suggests the fragrance of a life that is sinless and perfect. But the third one, which is not in the Isaiah prophecy, is is, is this turn that Matthew starts to make when he is writing his gospel to remind us. This third one, myrrh, is this bitter herb. And it has to do, and it foreshadows the suffering that Jesus would endure, bearing the sins of the world. Now, suffice it to say, this is not going to show up this year on your target registry for any children that you are going to buy gifts for. But because of this prophecy, we can connect the dots. What is the culmination of the things that they bring There's these three gifts, but what's the best part of it? They bring the good news. Follow the star, friends, for the light has come. This is the best news of all. Here, 2023, for us, Jesus Christ, our light has come. He came. He died. He rose again. This is the good news. He already won the victory on the cross. Our sins have already been paid for. We are on the winning side. This is the good news of the gospel. And there are plenty and there are enough reasons for us to live for him and to shine. Remember what I said at the beginning. Advent is this season of expectancy. There are two things that we expect. The season of expectancy reminding us of Jesus being born in a manger. But the second is the expectancy reminding us of the coming of Christ the second time. The coming return of Christ the King. You see, if you are a follower of Christ, your final destination is marked with a joyous celebration. For all of you musicians out there, it's this symphonic climax where the the music just rises and the French horns are just letting it rip. And it is just this beautiful moment, the climax of God's good news. It is a celebration of true hope, true love, and the true light of the world that overcomes darkness. So how are you preparing? How are you preparing for Advent to bring your gifts in that same way? To bring forth your gifts that will join in the chorus, that will join in the orchestra, that will join in the celebration that heralds the arrival of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah promised to the world. Here's how the Apostle Peter describes how we are to live until that day. This is from 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have this prophetic word, more fully conformed, and you would do well to pay attention to it. 
as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, isn't that what a fulfilled Christmas passage looks like? Peter, who has lived his life here on earth as one of the apostles there with Jesus, he's experienced it, and he's able to tell us that that, that we're a light shining in a dark place as the prophecies have foretold that the morning star is rising in your heart. Follow the star, and by doing so, be a shining light for others to see. The Apostle Paul puts it very simply, follow me as I follow Christ. This world can be and is a dark place, and it is getting darker, but the follower of Christ is to be a light shining in a dark place. As we discussed last week, the Magi, they're coming into the city. They're coming into a place and coming into contact with Herod. And Herod is a dark and sinister ruler with selfish motives and unchecked power. In 2023, we come into contact with men and women like this all the time. It may not be on an individual basis, but certainly in a corporate basis and social media and all the different ways that we connect with people from all around the world, we see this. Are you a light in a dark place? Are you immersed in the darkness or are you a reflection of Jesus Christ? What can you do this Christmas season to to reflect the true light of the world? The part of the reason why we do the Nativity Story in December and, and we want to have this outreach, this evangelistic outreach, is because we want to remind people and remind you that Christmas is this open door where people are actually willing to talk about things of faith, even for a moment. It's an opportunity for you to shine the light. To point them to the true source of light. Are you a beacon of light that connects the dots across a dark night's sky? That guides the way. Now I'm going to come to an end quickly here, but I want to again say that God wants us to be shining stars. There are always people who are searching and seeking. And you can be that light to your family. You can be that light to your job. You can be that shining star that helps them to encounter the glory of God. And when that happens, you are reminded that it's not about you. All of that glory is is for him and him alone. You are pointing to Christ. He's going to use someone. Why not you? You see, the Magi, as they are coming along, they got to where the star stopped. Now, the science behind it is is unknown for sure, but they think it could either be a comet that burned out or a supernova of a star that was, was burning brightly just before it died. And then the rest happens that it comes above this house, this shack where Mary and Joseph were living, somewhere off the beaten path of the city. Last summer, our family went on a mission trip to Costa Rica. And if you've ever been to cities like this where they're kind of up on the hillside, what we found was that the, the lower down into the valley you got, the, the more uh, poverty you began to see as you got farther down into the valley. As we discussed last week, Herod literally had a mountain built for himself to raise himself up higher than anyone else. This, this palace that was towering over 
all of his constituents. But Jesus was born in a lowly stable. And then he was moved from there to a house that was some type of run-down, lowly shack. And as the Magi were coming, they were not expecting Jesus to be in a shack. That's why they went by Herod's palace. They expected the king of the universe to be in a palace. But instead, as they followed the star, it didn't lead them to the palace. It led them to a shack. Now, what do you do when you follow the star and it leads you to a shack? What do you do? When you've got a dream, you've got this idea that, yes, I will follow Jesus wherever he sends me. I'm going to do all of the things that he is telling me to do, and I will have one happy and clappy, exciting and wonderful, beautiful, blessed life where there's no problems. And you follow the star, the ultimate star, Jesus, and you end up in a shack. This was not what you expected to be. Sometimes we think that if we are not living in the palace, that somehow God is not with us. If we are not living in the palace, a life that everything is coming our way, everything is going our way, that we must be somehow outside of the will of God. But I want you to hear this morning that when you follow the real star, when you follow Jesus Christ, you'll often find that his star will lead you to move from the palace to the shack, you will find you're going through the lowest seasons of your life. And there are some of you in this room this morning that that is what you are going through. When nothing is going right, that that's where he will find you. There are some of you that the only way that God was able to get your attention or the only way that God will be able to get your attention is that he has to take you. You have to follow the star from the palace to the shack. Because in many ways, as long as you're on top of the world, you do not need him. When he allowed you to go from the palace to the shack, you actually end up saying, Lord, thank you for leading me to the shack because that's where I found Jesus. In the Old Testament, Joseph says, they meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. And somehow God has taken a mess of my life and he has turned it into this message and this testimony for his glory. As the band comes forward this morning, let me say it one last time. Follow the star. Seek the light of the world and you will never be disappointed. Even when you follow the star and you end up somewhere you never expected, as your natural inclination would be. The Magi are coming, they find their way to this shack, this filthy, run-down, off-the-beaten-path location. And they've got these gifts. These expensive gifts that they have sacrificed a lot for. And you could see that in their minds, they could have an understanding of that and say, oh, this is, this is an expensive form of worship and it does not belong in this Location. It shouldn't be in the rundown parts of this town. It should be in the palace. But we find what true worship is, is when they put it all down no matter what. They put it all down there in front of Jesus. These wise men were wise 
because they said, God is here in the rundown shack and we're going to give it all to him. We're going to give our very best worship in the most unpleasant of circumstances. This morning we're going to close with a familiar carol. It's one that you've heard many, many times before. But there may not be a song, a Christmas song, that covers quite the breadth of this song. The true expanse of what it means to follow the star. From the first century to the 21st century to eternity to follow. As we listen to the words of the song, as you sing along, most likely, I would, I would pray that your heart would be pricked. That it would be your responsibility, your desire to follow the star during this Christmas season. If you are here this morning and you don't know how to do that, or you didn't know that you weren't already doing that, I'll be in the back. I'll be back during this song. I'll shake hands after the service. I'd love the opportunity to do my very best to be someone that would come alongside of you and say, let's follow the star together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's finish in prayer this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are, the way that you work in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that you would take even these last moments of worship, that we would offer our very best, even if we are not in the best of circumstances from the world's eyes, and that you would use these moments to give you the greatest glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.